a miracle. What is that? Well, it can be many different things. One of the things it is, it's when, when God does something in your life that you can't do on your own. You know it came from Him. You know there's no other explanation other than it was God that did a miracle. And this morning we're going to look at what, it, what does that mean? You know, I think for some of us we would say, um, you know, what, is a miracle, what would a miracle look like in my own life? Some of you might say, well, I've never seen one. I don't, I don't, you know, it'd be cool to see one. I'd love to have a miracle happen to me, but I, I, I don't, I've never seen that happen. I'd love to see a miracle happen, right? Anybody? I mean, all of us, I think, would love to see that. Not just, you know, for some of us, it's like, oh, I want to see something cool. But for some of us, we're, we're at a place where you're going, God, I, I need a miracle right now. There's, I have no other option, but I need you. And we're going to talk about that today. So, how do miracles happen? Why don't I see miracles happening in the world today? That's a good question. I've been asked that. I've even asked that sometimes. Well, God, I'd love to see some of those things. Well, you know what the truth is? They are happening all over the world. We just sometimes don't hear about them. Or we do hear and we're just like, oh, oh yeah, cool, another one. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't really impact us, but it does the people it's happened to. So, it's interesting. Where do we know about most of the miracles? Well, here's where we get the history of miracles, right here in the Bible, right? I mean, it starts in the very first words of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the whole chapter. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created it out of nothing. I mean, it was, there was nothing there, yet God created it. He spoke it. A light, dark moon, stars, the planets, uh, people, the animals, everything. God just spoke it and it came into existence. It's called creation. It was a huge miracle. And then we have several miracles that go through some of the Old Testament, but we get to what we call the Exodus. Okay, remember that story, Charlton Heston, Moses, let my people go. Remember that? It wasn't really Charles, he just played it. Anyways... Um, and we saw a bunch of miracles, and then from then on, with the children of Israel, we kept seeing these miracles uh, all throughout their history. And then Jesus comes along. About two, matter of fact, the Exodus was about 3,500 years ago. So we've been seeing and recording miracles ever since. Then Jesus comes along about 2,000 years ago, and for three and a half years, we have recorded in the Gospels miracle after miracle after miracle that Jesus performed. And, and so when we read the Bible, it's like we have five, six thousand, eight thousand years of history, in, in my opinion, that we, we get the highlight reel. This is like the highlight book of miracles. But God's not done, is he? God, the same God the same Jesus Christ who for three and a half years did miracle after miracle, including himself coming back from the dead and then going up into heaven. The same God is here right now. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he lives inside of you. 
He's the one that inspires your life, who has changed your life, who is leading you in every way possible. So can amazing miracles still happen today? You bet they can. Can a miracle happen to you? You bet it can. And so we're going to look at some of those this morning. We're going to look at three stories from the Bible that, first of all, it shows, it demonstrates God's power as he meets needs that people have. But it also, I love these stories because it also talks about what the people did so they could experience a miracle in their life. So I have these in your notes. If you have your notes, grab those. And uh, the first one comes out of 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm just going to read it. doesn't need a lot of background. And it says this, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha. Okay, this is the prophet Elisha. And she cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha said. He asked, Tell me, what do you have in the house? So in other words, what do you already have that, we can, that God can use, was the question. And she says, well, nothing at all except a flask, a small container of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, well, borrow as many empty jars as you, as you can from friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. In other words, God is saying, I want this experience to be for you and your family. This is not a big public <laughs> celebration right now. This is for you and your family. Now, obviously, they told more people, right? But it was for them. And uh, then, then he says, pour olive oil from your flask, your little container, into the jars setting each one aside when it is filled. Now listen to what, what she did. Listen to the next sentence. So she did as she was told. She said, okay, I'll do it. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. Then the olive oil stopped flowing when she told the man of God what had happened he said to her now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over in other words God provided a miraculous event a huge miracle he not only provided for their immediate need to pay off their debt but there was enough left over to take to meet their needs for their lifetime it was a huge miracle but it's interesting because God's provision in this miracle happened as long as they had empty jars. The moment the jars ran out and they were all full, the oil dried up in her flask. Now just picture this for a moment. A tiny little container of olive oil, and she has a whole, we don't know how many there's, and how big they were, but they were jars much bigger than the flask, and she's pouring. She just pours. She keeps pouring, and the first one fills up. Can you imagine? What's going through her mind? I mean, there's only this little bit of oil, olive oil in this flask, yet it just filled up this whole container. And then she, okay, well, let's do it again. 
And she does it again. Goes on down the line. And just when there were no more containers, there was no more room for olive oil, it ran out. So what does that mean? It means as long as she had room, as long as she made room for the miracle, the miracle happened. As soon as she ran out of room, it stopped. Are you catching what I'm talking about? The more room you make for God to do something amazing in your life, the more he will do it. But the minute you shut that room and you don't have any more room for a miracle, it stops. Is what happened in this story. But here's what they had to do. First of all, they, she had to obey. The sons had to cooperate, right? Rather than, Mom, that's just crazy. Are you kidding? You mean you're gonna get, we're going to fill up all these jars from that little bit of olive oil? They cooperated. Then they used what they had. God, God, they offered it up. Okay, this is a little bit. If I, if I start pouring this out, I have nothing left. This is all I've got. They collected the jars and they needed to keep pouring. I want to think about for a moment what's going through her mind when she's pouring that first jar. I mean, she gets to the point where what little bit she had in her little container, her flask, would run out. I mean, it would just barely be enough on the bottom of the jar to make it <laughs> wet with oil, right? But she keeps pouring and it just keeps coming out of the jar, out of the little container. It just keeps coming. And then she fills the one up. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm just thinking what's going through her mind. She's probably going, okay, do I even try the next one? Is, what's going to happen with the next one? But she keeps pouring. And that one fills up. And then she keeps pouring on the next one. And it fills. As long as she kept pouring, the jars kept filling up. She obeyed what God had told her to do through the prophet Elisha. God, God's miracle met her need when they kept doing what the prophet said to do. Here's what we take away from this story. One of the things about many. God's provision in your life, whether you put it under the miracle category or just God providing for you, will continue to happen as long as you continue to obey his word guaranteed he promises that all right story number two is a little bit more background on this one uh matter of fact there's a chapter just before this uh the israelites were in battle they were constantly having to fight for the new territory for for canaan the promised land there's enemies there and they found themselves the army of israel found themselves in a really bad place they were surrounded. The enemy armies were all around them. And in front of them was this valley, a dry, desert valley. And all around the mountains, around the sides, was the army, the enemy army. And not only were, were they running short of water, but so were their cattle and their animals, everything, their livestock they had with them. And so they were in a very desperate situation they were going to die. I mean, it was just that clear. They were going to die. The enemy was starving them out. So what did they do? They turned to the prophet. The king turned to the prophet, and here's a story in 2 Kings 3. Uh, and uh, here, Elisha showed up. Here's what he said. Now bring me a harpist. Bring me somebody to play music. 
And as the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, what? This is what the Lord says, Make this valley full of ditches. This whole valley that was right before them, dry as a bone, desert, hadn't rained in ages. And, and the Lord said, Go dig a whole bunch of ditches in this valley. For this is what the Lord says, And you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Then it says this. I love this next phrase. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> you ever face something? Maybe you're going through that right now. I know we as a church are. Going through our campaign, the building project that is before us, we're saying, God, this is huge. God, this is a big thing for us. You know what God says to us and to you in your situation? This is an easy thing for me. The way I see it, this is a piece of cake. I can handle this. I got it. And he says, he will also hand Moab, the enemy, over to you. The next morning, the next day, the next morning, about the time for the offering of the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. All the ditches were full. They obeyed God. They went out into the desert, shovels, picks, whatever they had, and they dug ditches. They had a desperate need. They had no other option. So the king called for a prophet because the, the king knew who to turn to. Now in their day, different than today, unlike today, the, when they turned, when, when people wanted to hear from the Lord they, and inquire of him, they went to the prophet, the man of God. That, that's how it was designed. Now, today we know that's different. We know that today, because of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ living in every believer, you don't have to go to a king, you don't have to go to the pastor, you don't have to go to a priest, you don't have to go to any other person. You can for encouragement. But you go directly to God, and you can say, God, we need your help. God, I need you desperately. Then you listen, and God speaks to you, and he tells you what to do. But in their day, this is what they did. They went to the man of God, to the prophet. And it says that it's interesting. I, I highlighted this phrase. It says, while the harpist played... And it was while the harpist was playing music that Elisha heard and experienced the heart and the voice of God. It's amazing what music does. You know, when we come here on a Sunday morning, and we just did this, we have an amazing worship band, don't we? And they play some great music, and we sing some songs. It's more than just a ritual that we go through. I mean, we do it every week. Sing songs and we worship. We sing songs to God. We sing songs about God that hopefully reflect your heart. We call that worship. We add music to it. There's just something powerful about when you hear, when you play, when you experience music. 
God designed it this way, that it touches something inside of you that nothing else can. Your emotions, your heart, your soul. And Elisha experienced this. It says when the harpist was playing, it opened up his heart and his mind and his soul to hear God's voice. We hear this so often, and some of you have told us this. Even before I get up here and say a word, God has ministered to you. He has spoke to you simply because of the worship music that you've been experiencing. It just touches you in a way nothing else does. It's powerful. God designed us that way. And it's not just an emotional experience. It's a heart. It's a soul experience. And so in this situation, that's what happened. Okay? God spoke to Elisha as the music was playing. But here's the condition. Okay? With each of these, there's, there's something that the people had to do. And the last one... The jars kept being filled because she obeyed and they, they did what they were supposed to do. In this one, what did they do? They dug ditches. They went out in this dry, hard ground, desert valley, and they started digging ditches. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. There were no storms. There were no winds blowing. But they obeyed God and they... Can you imagine what they were thinking? <laughs> Why are we digging? There's not even a cloud in the sky. There's nothing out here. Why are we stupid enough to come here, sweat to death, and dig ditches? Why would we do this? Because God said. The, God told them through the man of God, you're to go out and dig ditches. And so they did. You know what's interesting is, for so many of us, we would accept those instructions and we would, you know what our response, what my response sometimes would be? God, as crazy as this sounds, I'll do that. I'll dig some ditches. I just need, I, I need a sign. God, would you, would you show me a, a cloud? God, give me some evidence that this is you and that you are about to do a miracle. Anybody with me? You don't have to raise your hand, but we're, we're like this a lot, right? In our humanness, we want evidence that God is already doing something before I do my part. In every one of these stories, the people did their part before they even had a clue God was doing anything. If they would not have dug those ditches, follow me on this, it may or may not have had water the next morning. Maybe God said, well, since he didn't do, dig ditches, there's no water coming. But if the water would have come through there, guess what? If they wouldn't have had ditches to contain the water, the water would have run right on through the valley and they couldn't have contained any of it. It wouldn't have done any good. But the fact that they dug the ditches, they, catch this, follow, they made room for the miracle to happen and to contain the miracle that God brought by digging the ditches. Isn't that cool? Awesome story. All right, let's go to the next story. Third one. This is the New Testament. This one has to do with Jesus. And the story is this. A woman in the crowd. Now, the last couple weeks we've been talking about crowds around Jesus. Okay, there's, uh, and in these 
in these crowds, sometimes we know that sometimes these crowds contain thousands of people, anywhere from four to ten to twenty thousand people. We don't know, we just know it was a crowd. And it said, uh, she had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. Over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. She, in fact, she had gotten worse. And then here's the next phrase. She had heard about Jesus. In other words, she heard that there's somebody who could help her. So what'd she do? She came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe. Right? Now, in some, some uh, other translations, it says she touched the hem of his garment, the little trim around the bottom of his coat, his cloak he was wearing, his garment. And uh, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Instantly, she felt something. There was healing. Something took place, and she knew that she had been healed instantly. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So this whole thing is like this amazing event. She felt something coming into her that Jesus felt going out of him. It was his healing power that entered her life, her body, and healed her. And so he said, he looked at, turned around, looked at the crowd and said, who touched me? Now, I don't know what kind of attitude he had. I don't think he's mad. He's probably, hey, who, who touched me? You know? And his disciples looked at him and go, Jesus, are you crazy? I mean, look at this crowd. Everybody's bumping into everybody else. And, and, and you felt somebody touching you? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came, fell to her knees in front of him, and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you, has made you well. Now go in peace. Your suffering is over. Jesus is implying that it was because of her action. Okay, not just that she had faith. When, when, she, when she had heard about Jesus and she went to him, she was following in the crowd, that was also an act of faith. She went to the person who could do something about it. But it wasn't until she reached out and touched his robe that the actual healing happened. It's what she did. And when, when it happened, Jesus turned to her and said, Look, your act of faith, your, your movement, your action of touching my robe is what has healed you. You've been made well. What, we don't know. We can only suppose that if she would have never reached out to touch him, she might have never gotten healed, even though she was around Jesus. And even though she knew that Jesus could, and even though she went and she was around him, it was when she reached out, she took action, she took that step, and she actually touched him that it actually happened. 
She made room for that miracle in her life because of what she did. Now, here's the thing. You may need a miracle this morning. I think we all come to a point in our lives, sometimes we need a bunch of miracles. But in order for you to get that miracle, you may need to dig a ditch. You may need to collect some jars. You definitely need to reach out to Jesus. You may be wondering today, well, I've been needing a miracle for a long time. I've been praying. Other people have been praying. We've been seeking God. Maybe God brought you here this morning to say, okay, now take the next step. You just need to take a step and then watch what happens. I've heard your cry. I've heard your heart. I'm so eager and I'm so ready to do something miraculous in your life, to meet that need, to mend that relationship, to give you direction for your, whatever it is, to give you an answer for whatever you're seeking me for. Take that step. It's time to do something. It's time to actually begin making room in your life by what you do for God to do what only he can do. So how do I do that? I've got four things for you this morning. So we go come to the, sort of wrap this whole thing up. What is my part in making room for a miracle in my life? Well, first of all, the first word is humility. Okay, you got to have humility. Humility simply means that I realize my need for God. Because in our humanness, when we face a difficult situation, what do we do? Well, we try harder. <laughs> we, try to, we try to figure it out. We say, well, if I just do this or if I do that, I, I, can, I can get through this, right? Well, chances are if you need a miracle, you have probably tried that and you need a miracle because you can't do those things. You've tried really hard. You've tried to figure it out. Our pride tells us, and our pride says, I got this. I can do this. I can figure this out on my own. I don't need anyone else. After all, God gave me brains, so I'm going to use my brains to figure my way out of this. True, he did. Sometimes you need to humble yourself and say, God, my brain's getting in the way of this one. You know what humility says? Humility just simply says, God, I need you. God, I desperately need you. I cannot do this on my own. There's no way that I can do this. I can't figure this out. I don't have, I don't have the brain for this. I don't have the resources for this. God, you're going to have to come through. And for a miracle to happen... I need to be in a position of needing God. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation. Some of you that are there in a situation. You didn't do anything that you know of to get there. It's just, you're there. You, maybe in just a bad place. It's a finance, it's, it's your family, it's your marriage, whatever. You just find yourself in a situation that is beyond you to be able to, to solve or sometimes, maybe you, you've stepped out and you said, God, I'm going to obey you on this one. God, you said to do this, 
And I knew ahead of time that if I do this, if I say yes, I know it's going to put me in a position that I know I can't do it on my own. But you told me to do it, so I'm going to do it, so here I am. God, if you don't come through, this isn't going to happen. That's where we are as a church right now. We've stepped out in faith and we've simply said, God, we believe you've called us to move ahead with building a, another auditorium, building a, uh, a lobby, a big community, a fellowship space on the front. We don't have the money, God. This is a big deal. But because you've said to do it, we're doing it. We know you're going to provide. You make those decisions a lot. Some of you are there right now. Maybe it's because of this campaign, or maybe it's because something, something else that's happening in your life. Humility is simply saying, God, I need you. <laughs> I can't do this on my own, and I need you to come through in this situation. Okay, humility. The second one is, is trust. Okay, trust is when I believe that God will fulfill his promise. See, most of us would agree that God can. I mean, even if we're not a Christian, we would say, well, if there is a God, and I think there probably is, then he's probably a pretty powerful God, and he can do almost anything, if not anything. The real issue is, is the word will and the word for you. You know God can, but do you know he will? Do you really trust that God will do, and do you believe that he'll do it for you? I mean, we look around sometimes and say, well, he did it for them, but look at them, they're, they're, they deserve that, or look at, look at their status in life, and they, they, they have the ability to have a miracle, but little old me and the mess that I'm in, I even got myself in this mess. I'm sure God wouldn't, you know, he's probably punishing me for putting myself here. He surely couldn't do a miracle for me. You know what trust says? <laughs> trust says that I 100% believe that God not only can, but he will for me. For me. See, I think one of the reasons that many of us have a hard time trusting God is because we've never had to. It's easy to say, I trust God. But have you ever been in a position where you've had to trust him? That if God didn't come through, it wasn't going to happen. Many of us, we've never put ourselves there. Every decision we've made in life has been, well, I will do this knowing I can do this. And to do something that, that you know you can't do on your own would just be irresponsible, right? I mean, that's what our mind tells us. Many of us have lived our lives that way. And so when we say God can do a miracle, you would say, yeah, but. <laughs> Miracles happen when all other options, they often happen when all other options are exhausted and only God can do it. When you're in the doctor's office and the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing more that I can do. There's, there's nothing more that can be done. And you say, great, because God can. Or when the creditors give you a call and say, 
I'm sorry. There's nothing more that I can do. You're so far behind. We've got to take it all over. And you say, wait a minute. God's not done yet. God's got some other plans. Down the list, you go down. When you're done and other people are done, that's when God, God can and God will. That's what trust is. You don't give up. No matter what anyone says, you don't give up on what God can do. But the other thing is, trust also doesn't limit what he can do. Doesn't limit his ability or his resources. One of my, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 3.20, says this. There in your notes. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work where? Say it again. Where? Within us. God's power, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's power is within you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. The same power that parted the Red Sea. The same power that performed miracles all throughout Scripture is the same power that dwells in you. And God just demonstrates, wants to demonstrate it over and over to accomplish what? Infinitely more than what you can ask or think. One translation says you can even imagine infinitely what what is that it's just way beyond anything you can imagine god is just willing and able and eager to do those things in your life all right so that's number two we have humility trust number three is the word act i have to act i have to do my part in other words i may need to make a decision that might be your part I may need to take a step forward. I may need to make the first move. Or I may need to stop doing what I'm doing by taking things into my own hands. Thinking I've got it all figured out. This is how I should do it. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. Good try, but I've got something better. You, need, you just need to pause what you're doing. Because I've got something better in mind than what you're doing. You may need to reach out and touch Jesus. You may need to dig a few ditches. You may need to collect a few empty jars. You may need to do something. God's miracle just might be waiting for you to make room for that miracle by doing what he's already told you to do. You know what it is. You think you know what it is. But you've discounted it because it doesn't make sense. It seems like it's way out there. <laughs> Even worse than digging ditches in a desert. But when you do what you know to do, it opens the door for God to do what he does. So it's time to open the door and make room for God to do his thing in your life. Then number four. This is important as well, is to let it go. In other words, I need to let go of my expectations of what I believe God should or would do. And I need to leave the results up to Him. A big part of trusting is trusting that God, I trust God with the results. I put it in His hands. I don't dictate to God what He should do. I, I, we pray like that a lot, right? 
God, would you heal me? Would you heal so-and-so? It'd be awesome if you did. It'd look just like this. That'd be a huge miracle. Or, God, if you would provide for me in this way, that'd be awesome. It'd be cool. It would, I would praise you because I know you did it. And so e- even in our quest and dependence on God for a miracle, we still put God in a box and say, if God's going to do something, he's going to do it this way, and he's going to do it in, his, in my time. Are you willing to let him do it his way? In his time? With his resources and his knowledge? His power? <laughs> That's a big part of trust. We do not demand that God does it our way. We simply say, God, I just desperately need you. God, I'm stepping out in faith, and I'm trusting you for the results. I'm being obedient to you. I'm making that decision. I'm reaching out to touch you. I'm going to dig those ditches. You told me to do this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. It makes about as much sense as digging ditches in a desert. I'm going to collect these jars knowing that I just have a little bit of resources, and you want me to do what? Get a whole bunch of empty jars because you're going to fill them? Okay. Here it goes. When you say yes and you do your part, it makes room... In your life, for God now to step in and do his part. Now, I I don't know. God does things that just blow us away sometimes. But in these three stories, we see examples of when the people did their part. Their part was what God told them to do. Then we see God doing an amazing miracle in their life, his part. But in our humanness, a lot of times we're like, well, God, I need some more evidence (laughs) that this is you. I need some evidence that this is really what I should be doing. And God might say to us today, maybe he's saying to you today, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Are you willing to take that step? without any evidence that something's happening ahead of time. It's a big one, I know. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of voices in our head going, come on, what if this doesn't work out? You're going to look like a real idiot. You either trust God or you don't. 